Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast. I'm excited today to have on Stephen Hollowell. Steve is an executive vice president at Promethean. He's a seasoned expert in gamification ed tech. But what I really like about this episode is this wasn't, um, I'm really hesitant uh, about, you know, interviewing ed tech companies because I, I, I want conversations and I want to talk about learning and, and, and students in the future and, and not uh, be an advertisement. And, and that's exactly what Steve gave me. He, he wanted to talk about learning. He wanted to talk about gamification. Yes, we talked a little bit about Promethean, which he obviously um, wanted to, to talk about a little bit. But this is a great conversation on learning and on the, the, the power of ed tech and where it is and where it isn't. And um, I even loved asking some questions about how they get feedback and how they empower teachers and how they keep transparent. So, so just a warning, if you are tuning in this episode to hear a lot about Promethean, oh, we get into a little bit, but it's not exclusively about it. it again, it's about learning. It's about gamification and uh, about their design process. So for those reasons, I love this episode, whether you're in education or not. Lastly, the reason why we got to Steve is somebody recommended him to be on the show, which we always appreciate. So if you have a suggestion of a guest or an idea or a concept, by the way, we're, we have another interview with another teacher this Friday. Our crucial conversations are trending big, um, and, and we really appreciate the people that are wanting to be on those. Those are our Friday shows with Jamal and I. Other than that, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. I think you're thoroughly going to enjoy this one, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Hollowell. Okay, now we are joined by Steve Hollowell. He is the executive vice president at Promethean. Has a really cool background with Amazon Web Services. But what I like about Stephen is he has had his eye close on education. Steve, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Don. It's uh, great to be on here, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it and hearing uh, hearing a bit about what you're thinking about classrooms, as well as maybe sharing my own perspective. See, I love that because in the pre-show, yeah, you're talking like, like I want to, I want to put it right back to you. So this will be a fun back and forth. Um, one of the things, and, and and I think you know a little bit about the class, but you know this this class I have innovation and open source learning. Um, it's a place where the students get to, you know, for the first five or six weeks, they get to learn innovation techniques, how to think for themselves, how to build their own digital brand. But the rest of the year, we open source our learning and. By that, if you want to learn how to code in Python, I don't. So go find great mentors. And through these mentors that our students have worked with, they come back to me saying, hey, I got to connect with this person. And this is one of their biggest complaints about the, about the um, current educational system. Or, hey, here's what they're saying we should really focus in on. And um, in, our, in our you know brief back and forth earlier, that was something that you were kind of focusing in on too, that there are kind of some deficits that we have in our educational system or, or even as a classroom teacher, we can, we can go as localized as that. Um, and uh, I want to kick it off uh, by that. What are some concerns you see with technology and integration with our teachers? Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to start to address that, knowing that that I I constantly see one side of that picture, uh, which is from the from the the viewpoint of somebody that's in ed tech trying to work to help drive transformation in education. Um, and I have focused on not just K twelve but higher ed, lifelong learners, uh, even the research side of 
uh, what happens in higher ed and IP uh, creation. And one of the things that I see is all of us as companies, uh, and I've worked with a bunch in the cloud, right? Um, but whether it's Dreambox or edX or Coursera or any of those, um, companies create these tools uh, or even complete platforms uh, like Newton's Alta or, or what Blackboard has going on. Um, and we, we shape them and we think about the classroom in a certain way and we offer them out to the district or to the school and the teacher. Um, but then there's that thing where we expect transformation to happen. We're all eagerly looking to, to see things take off, uh, kind of hear that whooshing sound of success and progress. Um, but I think sometimes we're not aware that we're all doing that. And then the, the teacher is at the heart of all that activity. Uh, she's at the center of all that, and she becomes the integrator for that successful classroom experience. Um, and that can work really well. Uh, she's using tools, you know, like Kahoot or uh, Resley or PowerSchools or Socrative. Um, but can, it can also, I think, be a bit bewildering. Uh, and that's, I think, one of those areas that I scratch my head and go, how can we possibly make this easier? How do we make it take less time for her? Uh, how do we make that integration less technical? So that if you're a math teacher, you focus on math or science or English, not becoming a, a mini ed tech integrator. Um, so that's 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 kind of uh, my observation is I've been trying to help drive that transformation in education. But I do have that question mark kind of back to you is is does that does that environment feel like, uh, uh, you, you know, you've got this make your own solution thing? And is that is that a great experience as a teacher or is that? Uh, still have a way to go in terms of how we really make it possible for you. Yeah, I see your point. I, it depends on the level of training or the amount of unlearning. Uh, we have mm -hmm. got this interesting paradox. And, and of course, it's, it's different for every school. Uh, some schools are so ed tech friendly that at times they go overboard. And sometimes some schools, their ed tech is an overhead projector. So uh, obviously there's, there's mm -hmm. great, great differences. But the thing that I see most in, uh, frequently is just the, even though you may like, even though it's created with a lot of simplicity, there's still a learning curve. And, and I'm not trying to speak for all teachers, but this is one thing I hear often is that they're so pressured to just cover their standards that if the, learning time to learn this new tool, this new app, if it's not almost immediate, it's, it causes stress. It causes like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to unlearn this last thing we did, or we, we had a, a learning management system that just either updated or transferred or is different. Uh, now we have to learn this. Oh boy. And the battle cry is when, when do I have time to just teach? Now in that answer, it, it, we could do an entire episode of, okay, what is the definition of, can I just teach? But, but I, I will say that is one of the things that I see is that if there's too much complexity to your ed tech tool, um, it will either be met with resistance um, or, or a little bit frustration or, or in some cases, you know, they'll let the students figure it out. I, mean, I, I personally like that. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, I'm 46, but I remember when we got a microwave and, or no, best case scenario, we got a VCR in like 1983 and my dad's like, 
you figure out how it's going to stop flashing 12. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that that's, uh, if I can build on that, we do, I see in classrooms all the time. And Promethean is one of these companies that uh, way before I got here, believe really strongly in hiring teachers and using their experience, not just to help connect with our customers, but to actually design and test our products. So we're, you know, we like to think internally, we use the phrase uh, by teachers for teachers as our reminder that that's why we're here and that's how we connect. Um, but there is this this thing out there that says, uh, how do we make it more seamless? And I see not just us, but other companies uh, reaching out almost beyond their product set to create a platform. Um, and I think that's uh, that can help. I, at least that's a theory that seems to be growing in the market. And, and what I mean by platform is so that's one of those technology words that is uh, is a throwaway uh, or could be meaningless to some people. Is while, for instance, I, I can I'll speak from from our perspective. We create hardware, interactive uh, flat panels, uh, and whiteboards and other things. But we also create software for lesson delivery. Um, but we've begun going beyond that that says, okay, now as a teacher, I can create a structured lesson. I can, I can get down to activities and bring content in. I can, I can feel like I know I'm ready to teach this, this lesson. I got this. And it aligns with my pacing guide. I'm all set. And I know how to use the hardware. Um, but now we're looking past that, for instance, in the gamification that says, well, how do we help her uh, with some, some of that to make it just super simple? So. Uh, we start broadening our approach and saying, well, if our platform, our hardware and software also included some super, super simple things like a, a timer, for instance, so that if you've got activities or you're doing a small group breakout, you want multiple timers and you want to throw those up on the screen at the front of the classroom. Okay, super simple. Anybody can use it. If you've got the ability to touch the screen with something and you can do that, great, do that. Or a selector, what we call a spinner, uh, whether it's you're split in a red and blue group or you've got student names up there, you've got numbers, and you use the spinner for selections and you, you use that as a, a, a kind of this platform, this underpinning uh, for gamification in the classroom to say, from a Promethean standpoint, we want that content to be open. We want the classroom to be open. We know that's what, that makes, that's what makes K-12 run. Um, so we're trying to figure out what things we can add that are just tools that anybody can immediately use and they're visible and it doesn't matter whether you're using Promethean content or Promethean software, but if you're using somebody else's software and you want to time something or you want to do selections or you want to do something else that we've, we've gotten into build hopper, great. You can just do that. Uh, and all of these pieces of technology start working together in a way that's really super intuitive versus, you know, having to work on it all weekend, uh, kind of prep it, run it through, maybe get your husband or, or your, your significant other to help you. You be the student. I'll be like, let's, let's test this out. I'll send you the email, all that kind of stuff. Um, that gets, we, we just want to try and move away from that. And I see other companies going down this route of how do I create a broader platform that enables not just my stuff in the classroom, but enables other people's stuff, if you will, other other companies, other offerings, hardware, software, content, um, and and we're 
we're going down that path. We'll see whether we're doing it the right way. And I think the market will like what we're doing. The teachers will like it. But that's one of the areas that I'm thinking is is a kind of an additional offering that we can put out there. Um, the question I have for you is when you hear me talk through that, um, what's your reaction to that? I'd imagine there could be, oh, great, that could be cool. Or there could be, okay, now i got one more set of tools in my bag. Well, well, actually, my, my my question while I was listening to you is, is like when you talk about intuitive, what's the process to get feedback from your end user? Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. uh, like uh, my fear is like uh, as an entrepreneur myself, if if I don't get honest feedback, like the guys in the lab are like, this thing is awesome. This thing's amazing. <laughs> uh, and yeah. we always think it is. Uh, and and how, how do you gather that feedback and then how do you adjust and stay yeah. agile? Yeah. So um, that's a really good question. One of the things that I got to see and learn a bit of when I was at Amazon Web Services is how some companies uh, learn and how they collect feedback. And one of the things that Amazon is really, really good at is they do a combination of two things. And they, they call one data, which is what everybody understands, right? If you go to the Amazon website, they're constantly changing the website all the time, colors, fonts, positioning, and they're watching and seeing what seems to work better. And they're, they're making those changes every day, all the time. So that's data-driven analysis. But there's also this concept of anecdotal data, the story, the thing where uh, you, you get a group of people together and you ask them questions that are open-ended and you see what kind of answers you get. And you make sure that as you're going through any kind of design process, you're balancing those two kinds of information. If you have data, we all have heard the phrase that you can make the numbers say whatever you want them to say. And, and that's true. If you only have data, uh, you might be able to have those researchers in the lab say, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever, because they can make the data, you know, they're going to look at the data that supports that thesis. Um, if you only have anecdotes, if you only have stories, you probably don't know whether you're addressing all of the use cases or all of the ways that thing could be used out there. And you may just not have a representative sample. So we've learned uh, in in kind of copying off of some of the big companies in the market that we should have both of those. And one of the things we've done differently in the last uh, 18, 24 months is we've gotten out there with focus groups of teachers, not just our own employee teachers, but uh, our customers and even folks that don't use Promethean at all today um, and we've done studies with them and some of them have been pretty fun. Like you've seen the green screen usage in Hollywood, right? So the ability to take that color green and, and track it or mask it out. We've had tons of folks up at the screen using our products with green screen gloves on so that we only see the glove and where their fingers are moving. And then we're measuring every inch of travel that hand has to take in order to do a normal, regular, everyday task, like run a lesson or open a file or uh, do other things. And then we've looked at that and said, wow, you know what? When you, when you track all of that and you can see all of the travel, just like you can look back in your Google Maps and see everywhere you've been, what, what we found was that what we thought was a phenomenal user interface was really good, but we could do a lot better. So we redesigned how all of that menuing and all of that stuff worked on these panels to reduce the number of inches to take 
you know, the average height of an American school teacher is not six foot three. These panels are, they're designed to be big. So kids in the back of the class can see them. But if you make it really big, one of the design flaws you could have, we don't have, but you could put all the, all the menu buttons at the top. Uh, well, that's hard to reach. And even if I can reach it, I don't really want to reach above my head 45 times a day. So we've moved the menus. We've co consolidated it. Uh, and we like to think that we've gone from, we, we thought the iPad was the best thing for us to try and copy as a design. And we realized that having a 75 or an 86 inch wide screen is not an iPad because you got to walk to the other end. To, to click something versus an iPad where it's in your lap. So we've done this, a whole bunch of studies, grabbed a, an enormous amount of data from the, from the panel, from those, but we've also asked those, those teachers, how does this feel? What are you thinking about as you go through here? What else would you like to have? And taken that data and that, that anecdotal piece and pulled them together. And it was actually a, a, a really positive wake-up call for our designers in UI and other pieces to say, we can do so much better. Let's make this thing work for everybody. Yeah, so uh, that's a good point. And speaking of anecdotal and data, so I, I love that story. That's uh, uh, awesome, especially the, seeing that like the whole uh, green screen gloves. I love that. However, um, are you, and I shouldn't say however, it's a loaded question. Um, I'm one of those persons that's in the camp of every company's a media company. Uh, are you showcasing some of these best users? Because, I mean, it is anecdotal, but it's also kind of Roger Bannister effect. Um, you know, some of your teachers that are like turning their classroom into a symphony using your boards. Uh, do you guys have a platform? Are you guys like, like a, a promoting them? Is there a YouTube channel? Is there some way to, for other teachers to see them mm -hmm. in action? Yeah, that's a great point. And then, uh, you know, uh, I, I love the Roger, Roger Bannister uh, reference. I actually didn't know that guy's name until a couple of weeks ago, but he's the he's the guy that first <laughs> ran the four-minute mile, right? Right, right, right. Well, yeah, the, the right. Roger Bannister effect being that no one, uh, it's impossible to run a four-minute mile. Somebody does it. And then within a year, like three other people, maybe four other people set the same mark. You know, once once you can show that it's been it can be done, then it's it become I wouldn't say common, but it's it's more practical. So yeah, that that mm -hmm. Roger Bannister effect of um, of a teacher, because of course your sales rep or your guy in the design lab can show teachers all the things you can do, but a lot of educators will go, uh huh. Well, I didn't. Well, I wasn't raised in Silicon Valley or something like that. They, mm -hmm. they see a teacher do it, and now it's a oh. And then they immediately start putting themselves into that position and thinking, I could do that yeah. in my classroom. Yeah, I think that's critically important uh, for adoption and then transformation to happen, and especially in K-12, because there are so many teachers with such diverse challenges every day. So we have programs as a company um, where where we, we have teachers that advise us. We um, we, we do early sharing with them of uh, beta versions of both our hardware and our software. Um, and they, they tell us what they like and they don't like, but they also go evangelize that uh, to other teachers and they create their own sense of community. And by the way, this is phenomenal because this is the group that's always going to tell me the truth. They're always going to tell me, uh, hey, you guys really missed the mark or this, this actually works well for me. 
uh, I'm going to get 110% honesty from that group. And they're feeling like their uh, reputation is being represented whenever they talk to their peers about something in the classroom. Uh, these are not paid yeah. uh, marketers, right? These are folks that are saying, I'm just trying to do a solid for my peers and and help You're, share my knowledge. You let me double down on that though, Steve. I like, that is why I, I love hyper transparency. So like I would encourage if I had mm-hmm. like your, your, your core group of like ninjas, right? They have public mm-hmm. channels that, that they're showing some best case. And when something comes out and you're like, dude, this just straight up sucks. Uh, then mm-hmm. you can be, because I think that just creates a lot of trust. Uh, you know, I, yeah. a, a, we're now getting, I, I think educators are starting to get into that a little bit of the Silicon Valley-esque mindset of fail early and fail often and iterate. And so yep. do you guys put something out and then some of your dream team teachers on the ground go, love it, don't like this. Hey, I'm 5'1", can't reach up that tall. Um, by doing that, I think that you, like, I don't know, I think it'd create a lot of trust, but also show that you know, Promethean is in the, you know, adapt and innovate business. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I just, I just, I, and that's funny. We just had a podcast about this not too long ago. I, but I do know the tricky side of that. Hold on. I, I'm on my lunch break. I'll, I'll back that up. <laughs> okay. Ironically enough, we just had a podcast on that in a sense of, uh, I know it's can be troublesome to have teachers do, I don't want to say paid endorsements, but um, there was a, we were talking about, there was a New York Times article not too long, it was about a year ago, on some, you know, their quote, rock star teachers that were getting sponsored. Mm-hmm. They'd either get free equipment or, you know, swag or sometimes payment. And of course, there's a mountain of red tape. And, and so I, I do yep. acknowledge that, you know, if you guys have a... Um, a panel or a, or a, you know, a teacher advisory group, I understand that going public, depending on which school is, is, can be a nightmare scenario, but, uh, but man, I, I, well, heck, maybe even go straight to the kids, but I, but I just love that hyper-transparency um, that some people are, are really embracing. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, actually, if, if folks can check out hashtag pep educators, that's a great, very open community where we, we occasionally interact, we support the forum and, and provide information every once in a while. But in it, you will see tons of, of comment and, and post from uh, educators out there that are not Promethean employees. And they are talking about what works, what doesn't. They have a thing they constantly do that's Pro Tip Tuesday, for instance, really small, bite-sized information about what you can do differently or how you could use the technology um, I, I think this is this is why that Roger Roger Bannister example is so cool. One of the things I found out, I just as I mentioned, I only really found out the guy's name a couple weeks ago, but I looked at an article. It actually says he got up, he went to work, he worked his whole shift at a hospital, he got on a train, uh, and he he w- then went and showed up at uh, Oxford and ran this this thing in in three minutes and 59 seconds. I think the parallel for me is that's what teachers do. They're going to show up and they're going to do their job with their 26, 28, 30 kids uh, every single day. And then they're going to push through that for some other transformation, which is why I, I think, you know, it's so easy for us to get behind them as heroes, everyday heroes in classrooms. 
just like Roger Bannister, right? They're, they're going to go have a normal day and they're going to go, part of that day is going to be something amazing. Uh, and if they can see that other people are doing this more frequently, it just breaks down that barrier and says, yeah, you know what? I don't need to completely change the way I'm teaching or what I'm teaching. I can just add this piece in, whether it's use of a new tool or it's getting content from a new place or other, and just continue to kind of sharpen the sharpen the blade, right? And get better, a little better every day. It's one of the things that I strongly believe in personally is this mantra that says, if you get 1% better every day, you're unbeatable. Uh, and I don't like to compete with other people, but I, I like to think I'm getting better as a human being. And that's what we want to try and make sure that we're doing for teachers as well. It's just, if there's any way that we can contribute something so they can get 1% better every day over the space of, uh, you know, pick a number of days, you've got that compounding effect. And all of a sudden you've got folks doing amazing things. Yeah, I agree. Actually, before I ask you about a follow-up question on gamification, the the the, the resource uh, website you were talking about earlier, like Pep Educators, what was that again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, hashtag Pep Educators. Okay, it's hashtag. Very good. Um, all right. Next, I am going to ask you though that this this thing with gamification, um, we are now like entering into this new kind of, like you said, hyper-competitive, even though you don't like to be competitive. Uh, what do you see in the areas of gamification that you like and what don't you like? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the, the things that I like about it are when you, when you dig into gamification and you look at what it's supposed to be generating as outcomes, as, as things that you can look at and possibly measure its effect on student engagement, uh, you can get to things like communication uh, frequency, communication quality. And there are uh, beginning to be more studies that show that use of gamification concepts and lesson delivery and structure and some of the gamification apps that are out there like Kahoot and others uh, or Socrative, um, they are increasing the type of of, or I should say improving the type of student communication and increasing the amount of student talk time, for instance. Um, and that, that helps, I think, move the paradigm from, you know, this standard of uh, sage on the stage teacher is, is the conduit for content uh, to a, a more student empowered type of environment, much like I believe you run in, in your class on uh, innovation and open source learning, right? Where you've got kids that are more in charge of what's next, how do I learn, what do I want to go do? So underneath this gamification piece is, well, what, what's that, what do we get out of that? One of those things I do think is communication, um, and that's driven in a couple of different ways. I mentioned uh, some software packages, but I think the other part of that is just visibility. There are schools and more and more schools every, every quarter are adding one-to-one devices in the classroom or they're empowering kids to use a bring your own device, whether it's a phone or a tablet or other. Um, and then teachers can be able to, to set up an environment where a student can share their content or their answer to a question or their, their uh, work as they went through that algebra problem or a physics solve. Um, and they can share that with everybody in the classroom, either or one to many or up to the thing on the front of the uh, classroom. And that communication, that peer demonstrated 
uh, mastery or question uh, really helps drive this interactive thing that happens. So I'm actually a proponent that gamification can bring kids together, uh, even though we all have a little bit of healthy paranoia about whether gamification can can drive kids apart, right? Is it is it I'm the winner, you're not, uh, or my team won, your team didn't, or is it uh, look what we did together here? We we came together, we competed, but we did it in a way where everybody benefited. I I see a lot of examples of that second thing where everybody benefits because communication is unlocked. It's more open, and whether that's for kids that are the ones that are normally with the first hand up and, and are not shy and will speak in class, or it's the kids that need uh, a different kind of mechanism, whether it's sharing your screen or other uh, that can be more technology enabled so that we level that playing field a little bit. So I'm, I'm cautiously very optimistic about the impact of gamification solutions and platforms out there. Um, and I, but I do think we're kind of, we're at that rudimentary level. We're still learning about it, and we we need to we need to figure out how we mature it from here and just keep the good things uh, and and stay away from any of those negative areas. No, I can't agree with you more. I I, I really echo the sentiments. I, I love collaboration, and sometimes competition and collaboration aren't cousins at times. Um, mm-hmm. But in that same sense. Uh, Kids like to be kids like competition as long as it's a healthy culture. Yeah. And obviously, you know, it, all the successful places I've seen thrive. They always have a healthy work culture and and a collaborative and innovative work culture. So, without a doubt, you can integrate you know innovation, collaboration, and gamification, um, <clears throat> especially if they're teams. Um, but yeah, it, it, without getting it too toxic. Um, so, last question: uh, How? has your role as a learner, you know, when you're growing up as a kid uh, and then some of the things that you've enjoyed, how has your role as a learner affected the way you approach your job? Wow. That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a pretty candid guy. So I'll share with you that I was good at learning some things and really not good at learning other things. And I believe that's had a huge impact, uh, not just on how I do my job, but what job I felt I could do. Uh, I was incredibly bad at math. I could not grasp the concepts. Uh, This was way, way back in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, and math was largely the same as it, you know, the functions are the same. Um, but I just couldn't get it. And as a result, I shied away from math. I, I told myself I couldn't learn it. I didn't really have a growth mindset at that point. I thought the smart thing to do would be to pick professions for myself that didn't include math. Uh, that was the third rail for me. So I looked at, uh, English, I looked at psychology, I looked at other things. Funny thing is, everything in life involves math. Uh, and if you really want to be good at anything, you need to be able to see a, a quantifiable component to it. You know, if you're a runner, you're going to time yourself and compare times and work things. And, and math just shows up everywhere. So I went all the way through, through grade school and, and K-12 and higher ed. And I even got my first job out of college. And I worked in human resources, thinking not a lot of math there. I got wrapped up into compensation systems and benefits calculations and things immediately. Uh, 
and I, I had to, I had to finally deal with the fact that I needed to get better at math. And I started forcing myself through, uh, basically this thing I talked, talked myself into, which was, I can't do this. And I started learning a little bit every day and finally getting to the point where I thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm not incapable of this. I can, I can do some of this. Um, fast forward 20 plus years, uh, I've worked in really big tech companies like Microsoft and Hewlett Packard and, and Amazon Web Services. I've worked directly with coders and, and uh, written apps and, and worked on really big technology. And it's all hugely mathematically driven. I'm still not great at math. I'm not going to be the guy that does it in his head. But I understand the concepts because I've had to put myself through school for each of the last 20 years as something new comes up, whether it's business math like you would encounter in an MBA program, or it's just the algebra that happens when you're trying to look at pricing and market share and other things. Um, so it's, it's created that, that background where, frankly, I had this, what I felt was a huge gap in my ability. Um, and then I realized over a very long period of time that it wasn't a gap in my ability. It was a, it was a gap in my confidence and my focus. Uh, and I've been able to write that. And as I work with kids in schools or the educators that we work with or my own children, um, it, it, that growth mindset's super important and something I try and share with people that it's not that you can't do it. Uh, it's that you're just not doing it now. And there is a way there. You just have to find your own way and get there. Um, and that's, that's an awesome answer. That's been super important for me. That's an awesome answer. Well, Steve Hollowell, actually, Steve, I'll have to maybe call you back. I don't know why. I signed in on my school account and not my professional account. So they're going to cut me off because I added five people to this call, even though only one called. But um, <laughs> if I do, I'll call you back. But I'm going to wrap it up. Well, Steve Hollowell, I appreciate you being on the show. I love some of those insights. And uh, any place else people can find you? Any place you want to steer them towards? Uh, I, I'm kind of a LinkedIn guy. I don't do Facebook, um, but LinkedIn or uh, we, we have regular posts up at Promethean. I'd say I encourage folks to check out what we've got going there and some of my communications there as well. All right, Steve Hollowell, thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Don.